Sunday schools up and down the land love the story of Zacchaeus. At least acting out the story. This little man who climbs up a tree to see Jesus provides one of the most vivid short stories in the whole of Scripture. Children can perhaps identify with Zacchaeus because they know what it's like to be at the back of the crowd and not to see what's going on. Many adults can identify with him too, perhaps because they are also vertically challenged, but also because many of us know what it's like to want to get a bit closer to Jesus, to try and understand what we believe, to try and embrace it in some way, but we find it embarrassing to do so. We don't know the right words, we don't know how it works. And also sometimes we stand at the back because we recognise that it can be potentially costly. It's a big decision to follow Jesus too. And so Luke, in his gospel, his version of the Jesus story, presents Zacchaeus to us as one of the minor heroes of the Jesus story. Zacchaeus doesn't appear in any of the other gospels. You won't find him in Matthew, in Mark, or in John. It's only in Luke's version of the story. But this hard-hearted tax collector and his story fit in so well with themes that run throughout the Gospel of Luke that it perhaps would have been impossible to leave him out. The problem of riches and what to do about it. The identification of Jesus with those that the rest of the world has excluded and pushed aside. All things that you cannot escape in the Gospel of Luke. In one sense, the story of Zacchaeus serves to balance uh, with the story that comes before, which is of the rich young ruler, a man who ultimately couldn't bear to part with his wealth, to give up anything. And this is one of the last things we read, the story of Zacchaeus, before Jesus begins his approach to Jerusalem. So it's a significant story. Now, if you are here this morning and you work for Her Majesty's Revenue and Customs, do not fear. God loves you, it's okay, and you don't have to climb a tree to be welcomed. I tried to persuade my youngest brother to be a tax collector, to work um, somewhere in that field, to complete the embarrassment for my father, who's a, a tattooed bricklayer, and he's got a Baptist minister, the middle one's a policeman. I said, you really need a tax collector to complete the set, Dad. Um, <laughs> but he he works in insurance, which I'm told is almost as bad. But anyway, (laughs) because being a tax collector was not a popular thing. To finance their great empire, the Romans levied heavy taxes on all the nations under their control. And the Jewish people opposed those taxes because they supported a government that worshipped pagan gods, but they were still forced to pay. And the people that were charged with collecting the money, the tax collectors, were amongst the most unpopular people in the whole of the nation. I don't know what the equivalent would be today. Who's the butt of all the jokes? Is it still estate agents or have we moved on? I don't know. Apologies again if you're a local estate agent. God God loves you and so do we. But the tax collectors were not popular. Jews by birth, they had chosen to work for Rome and were considered by many to be traitors to their people. Not only that, but it was just common knowledge, everybody knew, that tax collectors had a healthy income on the side, 
by milking their fellow Jews for more than the taxes that Rome required. It's not a great surprise then that the crowd didn't offer Zacchaeus a space at the front where he could see. And it's not really a big surprise given that, that the people in the crowd muttered and mumbled, and I suspect that's understating the case. I think a few choice words may have been offered. When Jesus went home to stay and have food with Zacchaeus, the tax collector. From what we can work out, it's quite possible that Zacchaeus was actually the head of a group of tax collectors, which gave him even more opportunity to fleece his own people, to cheat his fellow Jews. We know that he enjoyed, because of his work, status, influence, and wealth. The problem was nobody liked him. The people would be horrified to think that of all the people they knew who were gathered that day as Jesus goes walking through, the name that we remember 2,000 years later is the name of that odious man in the tree. We, haven't remember, we don't know who the religious leaders were at the time. We don't know who the good people were serving in that community. We don't know anybody else's name except we know the name of Jesus. Fair enough. We are in church after all. And we remember the name of Zacchaeus. How awful would that be? Part of the problem for someone working in the field Zacchaeus was working in is that wherever money changes hands, whether it's across a grubby table in a tin shack or across a sparkling computer screen in a shiny office in a skyscraper in one of the world's financial centres, the hands very easily can get dirty. It's hard to not get into that space. Whenever money starts to talk, it shouts louder too often than the claims of honesty, respect and the dignity of human life. And so it's not hard to imagine the reactions of his neighbours, perhaps even his family and friends, as Zacchaeus' house becomes more lavishly decorated, as more slaves run around doing his bidding, as his clothes become finer, as his food becomes richer. Everyone knew this was their money, and there was nothing they could do about it. How frustrating, how infuriating, and how on one level so very relevant for the world that we live in today. Then Jesus comes to town, and inquisitiveness got the better of this rich man. He couldn't help but want to see what all the fuss was about with Jesus. And so often that's where the story starts. Why do, why do these people go to church? Why are they talking about Jesus? It's curious. We are odd. People want to know sometimes. And Jesus, as he does, sees through the layers of greed and habit and contempt of everyone else. By this point, Jesus has met enough tax collectors to know what life is actually like for them. And how, even though they couldn't resist the chance of making more for themselves than they should, there was a sickness at the heart of their life for which he had the remedy. So once again, Jesus finds himself relaxing in the company of the wrong people. There's a wonderful verse at the beginning of Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, where it says something along the lines of, the crowd run happy because Jesus welcomed sinners and ate with them. I want to suggest to you, friends, that if there was one epitaph 
on our collective tombstone and it said we ate with sinners and we welcomed them. We'll have done a thoroughly Christian thing with our life. And once again, the crowd grumble. They're not happy. This happens a lot in Luke's gospel, by the way. You go all the way through. Jesus eats with the wrong people. The crowd are unhappy. They are Luke's gospel in a nutshell. But there isn't a parable to make them think. There's not a nice little story to make them reflect. Instead, Zacchaeus pipes up and talks about his extravagant repentance. And repentance here, notice, isn't a change of heart. Zacchaeus, as far as we know, doesn't pray the special prayer. Indeed, it's never really been like that in Judaism. I'm not sure it should ever have been given that much space in Christianity. But repentance involves more than that here. It involves restoration and making amends. And Zacchaeus does that in spades. After he's met with Jesus, Zacchaeus realised that there were things in his life that needed to change. And he went about trying to do something about it. Friends, this change is not passive. It's not just something you talk about. It's not just about feeling a different emotion. It's about the truth that to follow Jesus with all of our heart and soul and body and mind and strength will mean changing things in our lives. There's no way around it. There is often, always even, a cost to following Jesus. To our time, to our resources, including our money. It's the same with anything we want to commit to, actually. And following Jesus is on a much bigger scale than going to the gym. There's a cost to also having a heart for the things that Jesus has a heart for. There's a cost for speaking out. There's a cost for standing up, for following Jesus, as well as impacting our diary and our bank balance. It might also impact your career. It might impact your reputation. It might impact everything that you have worked hard to build that will ultimately count for nothing. Now, I have a wife who works in children's television, and I have two children who like watching television, but I don't normally tell stories about children's television, except as I was thinking about this story, this program came on yesterday called Jamie Johnson, if you've not watched it, and it's all about this lad who joins a football team, and he tries out, and it's all about the ethics of what's important and what isn't. And on their team, they, and they're about 14, 15 at this point, they have uh, a new signing who comes in, and this is the first black player to join their team that's previously all been white. And they're in the cup, and they pray, they're playing this other team, and uh, some of the parents, spectators of this other team, whenever this new black player goes over to them, abuse him racially. And so he tells his teammates what's going on, and they all decide together, which is well within their rights, according to the Football Association rules anyway, they walk off, and they get thrown out of the cup competition. And then there's this big debate in the changing room. No, we should go and keep playing. No, we shouldn't. This is too important. What is a cup competition matter in the face of racial abuse? And so they're thrown out of the cup. Now, obviously, because it's children's television, in the end, it all comes good, and they get reinstated in the cup, and the other team get dealt with, etc., etc., because that's how it works, isn't it? But that's not how it works in life. And so sometimes, metaphorically, we need to be willing to get thrown out of the cup competition for Jesus. Sometimes there are things that following Jesus will demand of us that means going without in some other way. 
And there's no way of sugarcoating that. If we want to do our best to follow Jesus, there will be a cost to it at some point in some way in our lives. And you can try as you like to avoid it, but all you actually end up doing is avoiding doing what Jesus asks you to do. Now, Zacchaeus is determined to make amends and to do so in a big way. In fact, by the the, the time that he's given away all that is mentioned here, we found out that he is now significantly worse off. Zacchaeus might have had to downsize from the big house because of all the stuff he's given away. This is not merely about what he can give without having any impact on his life. The amount, if you read sort of what he gives away, that would have been a life-changing amount. He's not shopping in Fortnum and Mason's for his cheese anymore. He's become a blue stripe shopper, as all the best people grew up being. This impacts his life in all sorts of ways. And he doesn't care about that, though, he says, because he's found something that is more valuable. I must stay at your house today because salvation has come to this house. Where Jesus is, salvation is found. Zacchaeus doesn't pack up his bags and follow Jesus to Jerusalem, though, as far as we can tell. Zacchaeus doesn't escape all the angry looks of his neighbours, the hassles that his past might cause him. He's going to live out his new life and re-establish himself as part of the community of God's people right where he is. So this is the other thing I just want to reflect on for a moment this morning. The temptation when we want to be redefined is to go somewhere new and start again all the time, is it not? It's one of the wonderful things when you see people move or go to university or whatever it is. Whenever you go to that significant new place where everyone around you doesn't know you, you can redefine yourself slightly. That's not what, It would have been so easy for Zacchaeus to move and just be known as that wonderful, faithful follower of Jesus. But I suggest to you this morning that his story and the change in his life has more impact and asks more questions of those around him because he stays exactly where he is. Because he's, and he's going to have some very bizarre conversations with people around him. But they're going to have the opportunity to get curious about what it means to be a follower of Jesus because they see the change that he goes through in his life. Our faith is meant to be lived out in community. It's why when we read in the letters in the New Testament where it says about being patient and kind and faithful and loving and gentle, church is the very best place to be because we're going to give you plenty of opportunities to practice patience and kindness and self-control. Lord knows we learn self-control in church. Because actually we commit to walking this journey of faith with each other. And none of us are perfect people but we're all doing our best to follow Jesus. And so we learn, and we grow in faith as we learn to do this together. It's part of what church is about, working it out, living it out. The temptation is always to be after the new thing, the next thing, but sometimes staying where you are and changing is what is needed. And that's exactly what Zacchaeus does. The final verse in our reading this morning points ahead to the dusty road to Jerusalem. Luke's gospel is almost there. The prophets have spoken of the fate of the Son of Man. But Jesus' mission is not just to suffer and die, but rather through his death and resurrection to search out and rescue the lost. 
He's gone to spend time with the sinners. And that will soon become, he's gone out to die with the criminals. The same reason underlies both those things. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Even you and me. As we do our best to follow Jesus, may we have a heart that is set on the same.